the Honorable Jose Fernandez, who is Assistant Secretary for Economic, Energy, and Business Affairs in the Department of State. And in that capacity, he has uh, oversight uh, responsibilities for six areas, one trade and investment policy, also international financial uh, debt uh, policy, and economic sanctions, uh, plus international energy policy, international telecommunications and transportation policy, and support for U.S. business and private sector uh, efforts um, in the uh, areas of his responsibility. He was appointed by uh, President Obama in August of 2009, uh, coming from the private sector of Latham and Watkins uh, law firm, where he was a partner in New York and head of the firm's uh, global uh, Latin American uh, practice. And he's won numerous awards in terms of leading international uh, lawyers, especially in the area of uh, mergers and acquisition and, uh, and corporate uh, expertise. He has his uh, BA from uh, Dartmouth uh, uh, College and his uh, JD from Columbia School of Law. Please join me in welcoming Jose Fernandez. Good afternoon. Thank you, Dr. Anthony, for that kind uh, introduction. Thank you for your advice uh, whenever I've, I've asked for it. And thank you for all that you do to uh, improve U.S.-Arab relations. Let me also thank the uh, National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations for hosting this very prestigious conference and for inviting me to speak here about uh, the work of the State Department in the Middle East and in, North, in the uh, North Africa region. And thanks also to uh, Danny Seabright and the uh, U.S.-UAE Business Council for sponsoring this luncheon. Finally, to my Muslim friends, Eid Mubarak. Uh, I'd like to start this afternoon by, by doing something that diplomats typically do not like to do, and that's to highlight some of the problems that we all face together in the Middle East and North Africa. Now, I do this not because I'm a pessimist, but rather because I believe that while these obstacles are daunting and they're great, they're not insurmountable. In fact, what we have is an, uh, an economic array of tools, both with governments and with the private sector, that we can employ to address these challenges and that I'd like to talk to you about uh, in, in, the, in the next few minutes. So let's start with the problem. Over the past few decades, uh, challenges and opportunities that were previously isolated to a single country have in fact been uh, increasingly shared by entire regions now. And the Middle East and North Africa is no exception. In the MENA region, we have witnessed changing attitudes that have swept across borders. And underlying this change is a demand for economic opportunity, a demand for freedom, and a demand for individual dignity, and a call for more inclusive prosperity. These demands are in fact daunting, and they are redefining the landscape around the region, but they also provide enormous opportunities if the current turmoil can be channeled into creating successful democracies that bring about fiscal stabilization, jobs, and skills training. To do so, governments, not just the U.S. governments, but governments all around the world, will need to support the development of the private sector, which previously languished in many of these countries, due to cronyism, corruption, 
and state-centric economies. The fruits of the, of the old policies are familiar to, to you, a uh, uh, combustible mixture of demographic bulge and, and, a, and stagnant economies. In almost every country in the region, individuals younger than 25 years old of age make up 40, in some cases 60% of the population, and youth unemployment is expected to remain at more than 25% in many countries and above this number in the foreseeable future. Young people are coming into work, uh, into the workforce faster than jobs can in fact be created for them. And in some countries, as I learned uh, in, in one of my trips to Tunisia, the more educated that a person is, in fact, the harder it was for them to find a job. Creating jobs, creating enough jobs, will require high growth rates and, and that have to be sustained year after year. And as we've learned in this country, that's a tall order. Another major economic challenge, especially in North Africa, is the virtual absence in, in, in the MENA region of regional integration. Intra-regional trade in the Maghreb accounts for less than 4% of total trade, making that region the least economically integrated region anywhere in the world. The closing of the Algerian-Moroccan border in 1994 has effectively split the region, but that is, in fact, not the only obstacle to integration. It's been estimated, in fact, that the lack of integration in, in the Maghreb bears an economic cost of somewhere between 2 to 3% every year. That's a cost that the Maghreb cannot afford, and that's why it's critical to build economic bridges that can span any political divide. But again, the situation is, is far from hopeless. It is daunting, but it is far from hopeless. Ties between Tunisia and Libya have shown signs of strengthening, as evidenced by Tunisia welcoming over a million Libyan refugees during its own crisis. And entrepreneurs in Morocco and Algeria are working together to find ways to develop economy, their economies. In a number of the conferences that we have held inviting Moroccan and Algerian entrepreneurs, uh, the borders are seamless. They meet, they exchange cards, and I can guarantee you that by the end of their meetings, there are a couple of deals that have been made. So, so what can the government do? As Assistant Secretary, it's been my honor, my privilege, to work with great partners in nearly every country in the region to strengthen our bilateral relationships. We've done so because it's critical to our own interests, to, to American interests, that the region succeed both politically and economically. Now, we know full well that, that we want, we're not going to be able to dictate uh, the success of, of what's happening in the region, but if we can help it along, if we can help it along, we can contribute to the creation of societies that are not only stable, but are also democratic. So we're working actively with governments, both bilaterally and multilaterally, to create environments in which economies can grow and businesses can flourish. Because one way that we can help democratic transitions all over the region is to help prevent an economic crisis from undermining political progress. For instance, next week, the United States will chair the Deauville Partnership with Arab countries to promote small and medium enterprises in Egypt, Jordan, Libya, Morocco, Tunisia, and Yemen. Multilateral institutions and partners will work together to provide functional expertise and technical assistance to foster SME growth, improve job creation, and improve and create a job uh, economic development. 
OPIC, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, has committed or approved more than $433 million in financing and insurance in critical sectors that include transportation, finance, ICT and franchising, as well as support for small and medium enterprises. Now, well before the Arab Spring, of course, as many of you know, the U.S. was engaged in economic development in the region. In 2007, for example, the, the Millennium Challenge Corporation signed a five-year, $700 million compact with Morocco to stimulate economic growth through investments in projects that range from small-scale fisheries to financial services and enterprise support. And the MCC remains an active player in the MENA region with a recent $275 million compact with Jordan and a planned program with Tunisia to address the main constraints to Tunisia's economic growth. I could go on and I could talk about the Tunisian Enterprise Fund that's, in, that's being created and the, uh, and the Egyptian Enterprise Funds. But in fact, our efforts have not, our recent efforts have not been limited to funding. In, in, recent, um, in recent months, we have hosted a number of strategic and economic dialogues with the governments of the United Arab Emirates, Morocco, and Algeria that covered a range of topics essential to the strong economic partnership between our two countries. Uh, in fact, Danny Seabright and his organization, um, and this is, this is getting to be a habit of mine now, they keep hosting lunches uh, where I speak. Um, they were kind enough to host the UAE delegation and in fact did more than just host the UAE delegation but provided essential input. And a number of you in the room participated, essential private sector input into our discussions. It's in fact amazing to me that until about a year ago, in fact a little bit less than a year ago, we didn't even have an economic dialogue uh, with our second largest trading partner in the Middle East, the UAE. We do now. In the interest of promoting trade and investment between the U.S. and countries in the region, we've also signed five free trade agreements and another five bilateral investment treaties. And we also have uh, trade and investment framework agreements with 12 countries in the region. Just last month, Ron Kirk, our U.S. trade representative, announced a framework agreement between the U.S. and the Gulf Cooperation Council for trade, economic, investment, and technical cooperation. As it stands today, our trade between the U.S. and the GCC last year totaled over $100 billion. In fact, the GCC countries, if you, if you take them together, ranked 10th as, the, as an export market for the U.S. last year, which is more than Japan and France put together. Uh, and the GCC was the sixth largest supplier of imports to the United States, mostly, mostly oil. With this new agreement that was signed by, by, by Ambassador Kirk recently, we hope to go well beyond these recent numbers. Now, to complement all of these efforts, we've started a number of initiatives. One that, that's very dear to my heart is an initiative that we call Domestic Finance for Development, or DF4D in, uh, in, in Washington, D.C. speak. It's, it's an initiative to create an environment in which small businesses uh, can thrive. And the basic principle behind DF4D is that when countries can fund their own development, they will in fact own it. By improving tax systems, reducing corruption, and increasing fiscal transparency, a country can harness real growth and create real economic opportunity. As part of DF4D, we have been proud to announce a new partnership with a, with a group in New York 
called the Financial Services Volunteer Corps to provide technical assistance to Tunisia and other transitioning democracies in, in, in the MENA region in the areas of tax administration and transparency. And we've contributed uh, about a million dollars to seed this initiative and, and the Financial uh, Corps is, is contributing and volunteering uh, almost $1.2 million. And of course, what we're hoping to do is, this is seed money, we're hoping that this will be uh, increased through the efforts of, of our G8 partners. So that's the government. Um, and I'll be the first to admit that um, all of the government initiatives that we can think about, that we can concoct, uh, will only have a, a limited effect. And, and that's because the success of all of these agreements, all of these dialogues, all of these projects, lies in the ability of the private sector, of, of those of you, many of you here in this room, to exploit the opportunities that all of these initiatives create. And this is what I'd like to spend the next few minutes talking about, on our partnerships with the private sector in the MENA region. In an era of tightening budgets and reduced resources, we've got to look for new ways to, 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 to achieve our goals, innovative ways. We need private partners and we need businesses to work with us, not just because of the budget issues, but because the level of expertise that's in the private sector uh, is invaluable to many of the economies in the, in, in the MENA region. I can't tell you how many government officials have said to me, we don't need your funding, we need your private sector expertise. For many countries uh, at a critical time in their economic history, uh, the private sector know-how is really what they want. And one of the most effective ways that we work with the private sector is through the promotion of entrepreneurship. A key example of our efforts in this, in this area is the department's global entrepreneurship program, which we do with the help of over 100 private sector partners. The global entrepreneurship program seeks to empower local people and businesses to become full participants in their economies through entrepreneurship. In many countries, the, the Global Entrepreneurship Program works with uh, local communities, with local businesses, not only to foster the idea, the idea of, of innovation, but also to provide tools, actual tools for people to, um, to create new businesses, to try and build a new life for themselves in economies that for a long time did nothing to promote individual entrepreneurship. For example, in our partnership with Egypt's Competitiveness Program, We've created an increase in outreach activities that just recently involved over 1,200 students at public universities in Cairo. Additionally, this, this program has helped develop, in, the, in a very short time, 35 startups, 12 of which we have funded. In December, and this is something that I, that I would encourage, encourage you to, to keep, um, to put attention to, in December we'll be collaborating with the UAE to organize the third Global Entrepreneurship Summit in Dubai. Uh, the last two have attracted over a thousand entrepreneurs, and the one in Dubai will attract over, we believe, even more entrepreneurs, investors, and government representatives from the region to create a better environment in which entrepreneurship can flourish. Another vehicle on entrepreneurship that we've, we've created to promote entrepreneurship is our PNB NAPEO program, which is a Maghreb regional public-private partnership with leading companies and NGOs, which focuses on building cross-border ties from the bottom up among Maghreb entrepreneurs, business leaders, and youth innovators. We've had two large meetings, and we've had a number 
of small meetings with these entrepreneurs. The most recent one was in Marrakesh, where we had over 400 uh, Maghrebi entrepreneurs, investors, and educators. And again, you'd be amazed uh, what you can do if you bring the private sector together, our, our private sector and the local private sector. Just this past July, the Algeria Napio Local Board sponsored an entrepreneurship training program that brought together students from Algeria, Morocco, and Tunisia in an intra-regional exchange that was one of the first of its kind in, in this fragmented region. And in the, in the, recent, in, in the few, next few months, we will host visits, visits to the Maghreb by U.S. vocational schools, which is something that each of the countries has asked for, uh, private equity entrepreneurs, and, and investors. But, but our support for the private sector goes beyond entrepreneurs and it goes beyond startups. In early September, less than six, six weeks ago, I traveled to Egypt with Deputy Secretary Nides and a trade delegation that included 98, uh, 95 business people from 48 companies, including uh, Fortune 500 companies like GE, Cisco, uh, Coca-Cola, and Cargill. It was the biggest delegation of its kind in Egypt, and I'm told that it was the second largest delegation that had ever been taken anywhere by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The purpose of this delegation was twofold. Uh, it was to, to identify business opportunities for U.S. companies, but we also had another purpose. Our, we were there for another very important reason, and that was to support Egypt's transition and to support Egypt's economic development. The trip gave American business leaders unprecedented access to the new Egyptian government, and in turn it offered the, the Egyptian government a unique opportunity to, to, to make a gesture, to signal its openness to trade and investment, and its commitment to economic and political stability. And that the government did. In the words of one government official uh, channeling Calvin Coolidge, um, we heard, what's good for you as business will be good for Egypt, end quote. And they're eager, they're very eager to attract American investors. For their part, our U.S. business participants uh, were not shy. They came prepared with their own menu of reforms that they urged the Egyptian government to undertake in order to promote growth in trade and investment. The bottom line is that the Egyptians welcomed the delegation as an important sign of interest in doing business in Egypt from global leaders in numerous key industry and trade sectors. So in short, at, at the State Department, we are going to continue to be a convening partner and to bring together foreign governments and our private sector. We will work across the region with regional uh, private partners to contribute to the economic development of the countries in which they operate. This is part of what we're trying to do every day. It's part of the vision of our continuing diplomacy in the MENA region, and it's part of Secretary Clinton's economic statecraft agenda. For our own foreign policy goals, the bottom line is that we need to create more links between the new democracies and American industry. We don't have enough of them. So let me conclude by, by repeating uh, what I said at the outset. Uh, there are daunting challenges throughout the region. We need no more proof of them than the attacks in September that took the lives of four of our own and left scars across our embassies in North Africa. 
But President Obama has made clear that no amount of violence will make America retreat from the region. We will bring justice to those who harm us and our friends, but we will not be deterred from siding with history. We will support our allies, we will partner with the new democracies to achieve the aspirations of, our, of, our, of all of our people. We will be partners. You know, in the last few weeks, uh, I have been reminded of my first trip to, to North Africa. This was early in 2010. I had only been in, in, in this job for a few months. And it was before the advent of the, of the Arab Spring. And I was there to talk to uh, a number of, of North African business leaders and educators about PNB Napio, which I mentioned earlier. I was there to test an idea uh, about creating links with our entrepreneurs. And I wasn't sure how they would react to a plan to bring entrepreneurs and bankers and private sector investors and, and business schools to their region. So I met with a, a large group of, of, of educators and, and, and investors and business people, no, no government officials. And again, this was early in, in, in 2010. And I explained the, the project to them. And, and then I, I, I sat back and I asked them what they thought. Uh, I had only been on the job, as I mentioned, a few months. Uh, I sat back, I waited, and they said nothing for about 15, 20 seconds. Some of the longest time of my, of my, of my uh, professional life here at the State Department. And then one of them got up, uh, took me by the hand, looked me in the eye, and said, Mr. Fernandez, this is the America we believe in. I still remember those words. This is the America we believe in. Well, that's the America we believe in. That's the America that we are going to try to promote in, in, in the Arab world and going forward. I'm optimistic that our engagement in the region will strengthen in, in coordination with the private sector and that we will continue to bear fruit. Working together with humility and perseverance we believe that we can meet the daunting economic challenges of today and create a prosperous tomorrow for us all. Thank you. God bless. It's a rare occasion that one uh, meets a public servant who not only brings to her or his responsibilities a degree of erudition and academic accreditation and the empirical experience of working abroad. Um, for someone who's not previously been exposed or identified with the Arab world, we, we now see he's, he's quite well exposed and it's had an impact on him. As in his closing remarks, it was obvious he has had an impact on our Arab friends and partners. I uh, was able to work with his scheduler to sandwich him in between two other commitments. And uh, this was a tight fit, uh, but that other commitment is supposed to be at 2.15. So <laughs> to help him meet that commitment, um, I'll bring this session to a close and ask the chairperson, uh, Elizabeth Wilson, and the speakers for the next session to please come forward but not until after thanking both uh, Ambassador Tofik and Assistant Secretary Fernandes. Fantastic individuals. <laughs>